0: Let's pray for the reading and the preaching of God's word. Lord Jesus, you are the great shepherd of the sheep. And so now would you clear our minds. May the thoughts of our hearts, may the intentions of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and redeemer. In your strong name we pray, amen turn in your Bibles, and yes, I have the correct page numbers this service, uh, to page 519, please. We're going to read one of the passages that we're going to be coming back to later in the sermon. I would argue that this is an Advent sermon. I'm going to read it and then come back later and explain why I think it is a great Advent psalm, this song of ascent. Psalm 139, uh, sorry, 131, found on page 519, Psalm 131, it's only three verses. So let us give our careful attention to the reading of God's word, Psalm 131. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth, and forevermore. On December 1st, 1961, the British periodical All the Year Round published the first of a series of chapters about a boy who went by the name of Pip. In August of the following year, Charles Dickens completed one of the most famous works of Western Western literature, Great Expectations. Perhaps one of the reasons this has become an enduring classic is that Dickens captures the uncertainties of life and the misguided hopes in story form. Now, no spoilers here, but the author chronicles how the protagonist, Pip, often sets his desires and dreams on the wrong persons or objects. The author allows us as readers to enter Pip's world, his struggles between fulfillment and disillusionment, seeing how his actions often flow from a self-absorbed set of expectations. In many ways, Charles Dickens taps into how the Bible, long before this character named Pip, presents the human condition, regardless of what period of history humans may live. See, you and I wrestle with great, and sometimes not so great, expectations, even today. For example, when you exited these doors last Sunday, what expectations did you have for your past Monday through Saturday? Did it go exactly as anticipated? Mine did not. Even coming into church this morning or any given Sunday, what are your expectations? Being that today is the first Sunday of Advent and the Christmas trees are here in anticipation of December 25th, we're probably already forming some expectation of what our Christmas season will look like until reality does not match my self-constructed picture. You see, in our lives, when reality does not align with this vantage point of how things should be, we can often slip into despair, anger, disillusionment, and a whole host of other ungodly actions. Rather than turn to fear and frustration, we turn this morning to faith in the good news of Jesus Christ, especially at this time of this particular Advent at 10th. When we look again to Jesus, false expectations and shattered hopes are restored only because of the hope that we find in Jesus Christ. So for this morning, I want to highlight several various passages throughout the Bible that show us, remind us again of this Advent season, the long-awaited Messiah, how Jesus gives us hope and comfort in our present situation. That Advent itself is an interruption of life as usual. And that when Jesus appears, nothing is ever the same again. This morning, we're going to look at three points. First, the expectations of the first Advent with Mary and Joseph. Second, the expectations before the Advent. And then the expectations of Jesus' Advent here at Life at 10th in 2023. So first, remind ourselves of the initial advent, the foretold advent, and today's advent. So first of all, the expectations of Mary and Joseph. So if you would, turn to Matthew chapter 1. This is found on page 807 of your Bibles. Matthew chapter 1. To consider, first of all, how Mary and Joseph could have reacted to the news of this miracle that God was going to do through them. So Matthew chapter 1 verses 18 to 21. That's what it says in these verses. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the holy spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. See, this passage tells us that Mary and Joseph were betrothed, which in that period was a binding engagement period. It was a time of expected hope, and yet. Things did not go as planned in their human planning. Even more unexpectedly is the news that Mary is to be found with child. Again, this would be the most unusual birth, even though normally it would be cause for rejoicing, yet in a very unique and unexpected way. Through the miraculous work of the Holy Spirit, their plans were interrupted and changed. There was uncertainty. The only things that they could cling to at that point were the words of God that were given to them. Now it's easy for us to be jaded today to see nativity scenes or project our modern comforts on these stories in the Bible, but it was not easy for them. I'm sure if I were in their place, if you were in their place, we would have so many questions for God. I'm sure some of us would have wanted a very complete explanation of what was going to happen every minute detail for the next few weeks and months and years of how this would work out. But that's not what happened. Notice at this first advent, at this very unexpected announcement and shift in their lives, how they reacted. Look in this passage at Joseph's reaction. This passage tells us that he, is, he was a just man. He was righteous. He was trying to follow God, living a life pleasing to his God. And rather than question God, Joseph acted in righteousness towards Mary. He did not do what was expedient or what was easier and have her divorced and put away quietly, but he listened to what God did and had his full hope and confidence in this God. What was Mary's reaction? Well, for that, we need to turn to Luke chapter 1, verse 46. So Luke chapter 1, verse 46 When Mary gives this song of praise, and just as you're turning there, maybe a preview, Uh, the choir may or may not be doing a version of this uh, at the Lessons and Carols on uh, December 23rd and 24th. But listen to these words and how this goes against how we might naturally respond to unexpected and challenging situations. Listen to what Mary says. Her world has been turned upside down. And this is what she says. She says, He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent empty away. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. See, through eyes of faith, Mary and Joseph would look in faith to say that this baby by the Holy Spirit would set things right. That Mary's child, conceived by the Holy Spirit, would be named Jesus. The Greek translation of the Hebrew name Joshua, to save or salvation. Because he will save his people from their sins and their doubts and their fears. So the first question for us this morning is what will we do with this good news about Jesus? Will we allow our preconceived notions of who he is cloud the biblical reality that he is the reason in whom by faith we exist and have our being? Or will we persist in our frustration, relying on our own power and intellect to guide us in this uncertain world? Will we rejoice and trust in the hand of God's providence even when events seem hopeless and we are filled with despair? You see the birth, the life, the teaching, the death and the resurrection of Jesus cuts through our small-minded expectations. Mary and Joseph show us that our gracious God unex- unexpectedly accepts us where we are in our weakness and confusion, but he's never content to leave us there. Through Jesus we are drawn into deeper communion with the Father and the Spirit, often in the most difficult challenging, unexpected trials and circumstances that we face. So again, this is just a glimpse into the life of Mary and Joseph, how they could have reacted when things did not go as planned, how God interrupted their lives to come into a sin-filled world at this first advent. But in some ways, there should have been more expectation for this long-expected Jesus, See, secondly, the Bible records many messianic expectations about that. So turn back, if you will, to uh, Psalm 131. And again, to to kind of explain why I think this is such an appropriate Advent psalm for our congregation today. See, one one of the trick questions at your ordination exam that I've heard given was, how many messianic psalms are there? And the correct answer is 150. Some guys will say 22, 19, 16. It's it's 150. That's the right answer. The Old Testament in so many places is full of anticipations, prophecies, and predictions. There are countless examples that be given. So again, this one, that is before us, and let me read it again. As I read it, consider the parallels to what Mary said in her song in Luke chapter one. That's what David says again. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul, like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Now you'll notice in the text that there's a heading above this psalm and several others around it that say, Song of Ascent. These psalms were sung by the people of God in the Old Testament in the context of their pilgrimage to Jerusalem, especially once a year during the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. Geographically, Jerusalem sits on top of a mountain, and the travelers would gradually go up this mountain as they trekked on their way. And they would sing Psalm 120 to Psalm 134, retelling the stories of their need and God's deliverance and faithfulness. So what is David expressing in this psalm? Well, for one thing, he gives us this picture of contented dependence upon God. The weaned child is no longer striving for milk, but is contented to sit in the mother's lap. So what was this feast of tabernacles or feast of booths? Well, shortly after Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, the people were commanded to construct booths or huts, tabernacles, if you will. That's why every September, uh, our neighboring synagogue will construct a booth in front of of their synagogue. It was to remember that when the Lord delivered them from Egypt from physical slavery and bondage, they were to journey to a more permanent land. And so they lived in temporary booths, tents, huts it was to remind them of their pilgrimage until God would give them final rest in their destination and it was a picture pointing forward to when Jesus would provide spiritual salvation and deliverance not a physical deliverance not a physical land not a place where we could go together but a permanent eternal home in glory The second thing to note about Psalm 131 is not only the disposition of one who fully has confidence in God that there's that that resting and trusting, but in light of Advent, it shows how we are usually the opposite of this psalm in our daily life. And I would say, especially right now in our congregation. If we're honest with ourselves, we are often too proud. We often have our eyes lifted up And set on the wrong things We can't fathom and get frustrated With things that are too wonderful for us We too often consider our own agenda More than God's or others agenda We are often agitated in our souls And disquieted when we question God's plan And even his goodness and faithfulness Yet look at how this psalm ends And fulfills uh, the Feast of Booths In the life and ministry of Jesus We are called ultimately to do the last verse. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. It's no accident that later in John's gospel, in verse 14 of chapter one, in John's advent section of in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word is God. That Jesus, it says in verse 14, tabernacled among us. Gets lost in the English translation when it says he dwelt among us, yes, but he made his temporary abode, he boothed, he tabernacled among us. So as these pilgrims are ascending the mountain to Jerusalem, they are singing this praise longing for a more more permanent tabernacle. In the ministry of Jesus, it is at this feast, the Feast of Tabernacles, tabernacle that the song of ascent were sung where Jesus invites all those who are thirsty to come and drink of him and he will give them water that will satisfy he declares himself there to be the light of the world in advent we celebrate that Jesus has come into this dark world he has given us life and peace and light and salvation So finally, as we consider David's anticipation and his call for us as a congregation to put your hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore, as we see the call to be resting in God like a contented child in his mother's or her mother's arms, as we see Mary and Joseph not responding with questioning and agitation, but trusting in God, may we also do that today. In this moment at 10th, we can cling to the invitation to trust, to accept, and to rest in the peace that only Jesus can give. The final passage that we'll consider this morning is that, and again, drawing directly from Psalm 131 to the words of Jesus and see these parallels. Matthew chapter 11, page 816 in your Bibles. Very famous passage. We read it as part of it as our call to worship, but this is what Jesus says. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. You see, today, only this advent of Jesus can combine these various threads of Scripture. Whether it's from the Psalms or from the Gospels of Matthew and Luke to our present need, the gospel alone moves us from the place of interruption of sin and life in a broken world to redeeming, the redeeming work of God incarnate, Emmanuel, Jesus, God with us. From our natural default towards pride to the humble Jesus, the giver of rest. From our unfulfilled expectations to fulfilled promises of God's faithful covenant promises. From a vague Christmas feeling to a confidence in the person and work of Jesus Christ. From a removal of my restlessness and my disquietedness. From my questioning to a waiting on God's promises and his timing. You see, Jesus this morning offers us rest in him if we accept it. But what does this look like? I'd like to give three practical things that we can consider for this time and our life at 10th together. First of all, this resting in Jesus flows from a firm belief that he is all-powerful and able to do more than we ask or imagine. Look again at Matthew chapter 11. Usually, usually when this is read, people begin with verse 28. But when you do that, you separate it from the real foundation of how Jesus can declare this. Look at verse 27. Jesus declares, all things, all things have been handed over to me by my Father. Thus, there is nothing outside of God's power. We call this God's omnipotence, His power, His control over all things, people, and events. That nothing, nothing is outside of His power and control." And he gives that rest to those who see that and put their confidence in this mighty God. Just just one practical thing, uh, that when I'm discouraged, one of my go-to pieces of music is by Johann Sebastian Bach, uh, his motet, "Jesus, My Friend." I'm not going to try to pronounce the German, I'm sure I would get in trouble. Um, because Bach understood the gospel. He could confidently write these words drawn from scripture, trusting in Jesus' power resting in him. This is what his motet says, I defy the ancient dragon, I defy the jaws of death, I defy the fear they cause, rage world and leap upon me. I stand here and sing in the calm of certainty. God's power takes care of me, earth and hell's abyss must fall silent, however much They roar. That is a man who has found his confidence and rest in Jesus, his Savior. Second, while this shows us God's omnipotence, we're reminded this morning, as David and Mary and Joseph, even ourselves, acknowledge our utter dependence upon the grace and the mercy secured by Jesus' death and resurrection. If we acknowledge God's power, we must not only acknowledge his power, but our posture of brokenness and weakness. Again, consider Mary today. and Rejoice not in her strength, but because of God's strength who will do these things. David did not trust in God because he was more spiritual than we are or because he was a better person, but because of his call to put his full confidence and faith and trust in the Lord of hosts. Jesus calls us to rest in him because we are weak and frail, and it's because of Jesus' strength that we can have any hope at all. The 19th century Scottish minister, Robert Murray McShane, who died at the age of 29, wrestled with this struggle of strength of God and our weakness, the omnipotence of God and our need to be humble. In his brief life, he grasped the seriousness and need to kill sin in his life. Here's what he said about the relationship of his weakness and God's omnipotence. Quote, I ought to pray and labor for the deepest sense of my utter weakness and helplessness that ever a sinner was brought to feel. I am helpless in respect of every lust that ever was or will be in human heart. My only safety is to know, feel, and confess my helplessness that I may hang upon the arm of omnipotence. McShane then asks, what of the struggle in striving against sin? Why doesn't God just remove it from us? This struggle, he says, quote, should lead me more and more to Christ. If I were more deeply convinced of my utter helplessness, I think I would not be so alarmed when I hear of the falls of other men. I ought to study Christ's omnipotence more. See, we as a church, as individuals, as a congregation right now, are very weak. The reality is that we never should have had any confidence in our own strength, in our own ability, apart from Christ. I'll say the quiet part out loud. Our present circumstances in this advent of 2023 are not where we expected our church to be. Many of us are and will be grieving for a while. We have many questions and our souls may not feel calmed and quieted. However, we serve a sovereign God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Put your hope in the God of Israel. The events of recent weeks have caused numbness, sadness, and pain. But I do thank God that we have a connectional church. The elders of 10th have referred some of 10th's matters to the Philadelphia Presbytery. Where pastors from our region give oversight to ensure that things will be handled biblically and pastorally. I would encourage you to ask questions, but also know that under civil codes and as well as the possibility of an investigations that are going on, there may be some things the elders cannot discuss. But I will say this: Presbyterianism, when it works well, is a very good process. But a warning: It's often a slow process. But ultimately, it is a biblical process that does not take sides, but seeks the truth. Pray for your presbytery. Pray for your elders here at 10th, that these men will seek the glory of God and strive for the purity of Christ's church. Third and finally, as my weakness confronts God's omnipotence, we stand with the people of God that throughout time have looked in faith to Jesus' first coming, but also now to his second coming. In 1 Corinthians 16, Paul uses this Aramaic word, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. One of the hymns that we sing at this time of year captures our heart cry this morning. Come thou long expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sin release us. Let us find our rest in thee. Israel's strength and consolation, hope of all the earth thou art, dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. You see, ultimately, the gospel work of Jesus is to set me free from me, from my sin, from my false desires, from my unrealistic expectations, and the sin that can cling to me. But the call this morning, brothers and sisters, is to cling to Christ Jesus alone in his righteousness because we eagerly await his second coming, this future advent, this second arrival, which will shatter all of our expectations because no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has ever conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. Let us pray. Father, indeed, we do cry... Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, renew this earth, that sin may no more grow, that thorns that infest the ground will be uprooted, that your blessings will flow far as the curses found that you will undo, that you will bring all things in heaven and on earth under your feet for your glory alone. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.